Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Since in the season there is an unusual window of the download of the grace of God. I've experienced this personally in my own life. I must testify on a personal level. I've, I've known the grace of God on my physical being. I'm, I'm talking the effects anatomically, how it affects the body. We're able to do so much beyond the, the dictates and limitations that your flesh allows you to. Uh, and I really want to encourage you. You work, not you, but grace that works in you, okay? And so uh, I want to encourage you to access the totality of all that God has in store for us, amen? So uh, those of you who are here, welcome, and I know that today is going to be another powerful download in terms of your understanding in reference to the grace of God. Bible says concerning the disciples that Jesus appointed 12, and it says this, to be near him. I like that portion in the Bible. He appointed 12 to be near him. I want to encourage you, Elisha pursued Elijah. There was a pursuit that our son has. Our motivation in going to the Valcom conference initially was, I want to track Pastor Thamo as far as possible, even if it means going physically to places, just to be in his environment, to be in his presence, to hear the word. Right? And that is my motivation. I, I, I know there are certain things that transpire through proximity, that don't transpire ordinarily. And I want to encourage you, get a revelation of this. I was reading in the week a text where Moses, the Bible, Moses went, the Bible says, from the people and he pitched a tent and he called it the tent of meeting. And he went into his tent and every man in Israel stood at their tent at the entrance looking at him but he went into what he called a tent of meeting. The glory of God came on the tent. And the Bible says, And there the Lord spoke to Moses as a man would speak to his friend face to face. Amazing thing is, some exchanges took place there. And then it says, And Moses came out and went. And there's a little verse that says, And Joshua abided in the tent. Joshua tracked Moses. Do you know Joshua was there with him on the mount when he fasted? He tracked him up. He didn't go the full way. He stayed at a distance, but he was always, everyone say proximity. There's this, uh, there's this issue of proximity. Now, please, it is more spiritual than it is physical. Your greatest proximity to your grace carrier is to obey the word that he, he speaks. Right? Because sometimes we can't move physically, but your proximity is more expressed in the obedience to the principle than in physical distance. Right? If you, can, if you can help the physical distance, then, then by all means do so. And uh, don't spare any sacrifice. When you found a pearl of great price, you will sell all you have just to, to access the pearl, the gates that gives you entrance into a dimension of kingdom life that you would not ordinarily have enjoyed. Okay? So uh, I want to encourage you. Uh, these things we probably will teach at a later time. I just want to just lay it out for you. You know, accessing grace, I wish I could get into it right now. It'll only be in three or four sessions from now. You want more of it? Come on. You want more grace? Yeah. 
There are principles vested in God's Word that clearly teach us how to get more of it. And we will talk more to that. But uh, one of the principles is dwell near the grace carrier. Dwell near the person that God has positioned in your life. It's a principle in God's Word. I'm not saying it. It's dwell near the, the grace carrier. Amen. Well, today I'm going to talk about a fundamental, but a fundamental that has been so grossly misunderstood. It's the issue of being saved by grace. For me, this is grace 101, as it were. Right? Grace 101. The issue of being saved by by grace. And um, you have notes there, but I would encourage you, perhaps follow with me on the screen more than your note. The note is for your personal rehearsal and to help you review and meditate upon the word that you that you heard on Wednesday evening we consolidated and concluded some of the issues we spoke about on Sunday what we are about in the series particularly in the first two and three sessions is to define grace right and I said do not define grace in its effect but define grace in its essence, right? It's difficult to define the essence of the thing. It's easy to define the effects of it. So you view something, the benefit that accrues to you, you'll define the thing in reference to the benefit that it brings to you. But to define a thing for what it is, it's difficult. So then we concluded this the last time. What is grace? Now when I say that what is grace, don't define it in terms of what it did for you, Benefit accrued to you. What is it? Right? Or rather, more accurately, who is it? Right? Akin to the manner that fell in the wilderness. We concluded this. God is spirit. Everyone say God is spirit. God is spirit. All of God is spirit. The Father is spirit. The Son is spirit. The Holy Spirit is spirit. Spirit has a makeup. Spirit has a constituency. The constituent element that comprises everything spirit is a component called grace that makes spirit what it is. It's called grace. God is spirit and he's full of something called the grace of God. I won't spend the time to prove from the scriptures that this is true simply because of, of time. I want to get into today's teaching. right? And when that resource characteristic of God himself, comes to us. It comes in spirit, couched in words. Because the, 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 I'll teach you in a few weeks, the primary conduit or means in which grace is packaged. If you would, how do you receive grace? Well, you've got to go to the post office and get your package. <laughs> Open your package and inside will be grace. So how does grace come to you? The packaging of grace is words. Please, you must understand this. There is no grace reception without exposure to the hearing of the, the words of God. That's hearing words generally, but specifically hearing words vested in and through the person that God has sent to you to teach and instruct you the word of the Lord. So why do I prioritize an opportunity to hear God's word through my spiritual father? For me, it's not just being there. My greatest thing is, God, I'm after you. I'm after the grace that you represent. I know as I hear 
words. And Jesus said, the words I speak are what? Come on, you know, the words I speak are spirit. So words are spirit. The configuration of spirit is grace. When I hear words, what do I receive? The grace of God packaged in the sound of the words. The frequency of words that are communicated from His throne. Okay. Grace has many sides. Let's go, Luke. I'm going to talk about our entrance into grace. Okay, I'm going to go extremely fast, and I'll ask you to please keep your spirit um, diligent, aware. 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received what? A special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the, the manifold grace of God. The word manifold means variegated. The New International Version frames the same as each one has received and must be a steward of God's grace in its various forms. So there's this issue, this defining quality of spirit in God called the grace of God, right? It's the property in divinity, in the words of Pastor Thamo. It's the property in divinity called grace, the veritable essence of that makes up and constitutes everything in him as God. I'm saying to you, rather Peter saying to us, this has got many forms. This is manifold, this is variegated. Right? You, it will come to you in a particular form based upon where you are in a particular stage of your journey in Christ. Right? It will come to you uh, almost incrementally, compartmentally if you would, through time to to benefit you in a particular way, right? To benefit you in a particular way. Now, Colossians says this. I'm going to speak to you today about what does the Scriptures mean when it says, for by grace are you saved through faith, right? For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. I know we have an understanding of it, but we want to give a full meaning of that concept. Okay, now do you know your being saved was literally a transfer of kingdoms, right? When you were unsaved, alienated from the life of God, do you know that you lived in a frame of reality? Scripture calls it a domain, domain of darkness, called darkness, or the kingdom of Satan, right? People are unaware of this. But when they don't know the Lord, listen to me carefully, when you don't know the Lord, you literally live in a realm of existence which is the greater reality above your physical reality. Spiritual reality is far more significant than physical reality. Your standing in the spirit will determine your standing in physicality. When you don't know the Lord, you literally live in a domain a sphere called darkness, subjected to the ruler or the prince of this world. When you heard the message of the gospel of the kingdom, what happened in your heart? Faith started to rise up. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. You heard of the love of the Savior and His payment um, on the cross for the, the penalty for which your sin demanded, right? 
He took your place, forgave your sin. You said, yes, I want to be your son. I realized my sinful state. And when you said yes to the Lord, do you know what literally happened? You left one domain and you literally crossed over. Right? Everyone do this with your feet. Okay? I, want, I, want to, I want to stress something. You literally left a realm and you're now in a different, whilst on the earth, but spiritually you're in a vastly different sphere or spatial sphere of existence in the spirit. It's called the kingdom of his dear son. I like this. Or his beloved son. Watch to quote the verse for the tape. Colossians 1.13 says, He rescued us from the domain of darkness and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sin. Tell you never thank God for the transfer. Huh? Some of you want transfers from your work to other, other, other cities and other places. Well, there was a greater spiritual transfer that took place that you must be extremely grateful of. God literally rescued. Aren't you glad you've been rescued? Remember Zechariah 3, I think it is it's called, when Joshua the high priest, he sins, well, was so uh, stark and, and, and highlighted. And God said, I think, to, to Satan, Satan, the Lord rebuked you. Read it, Zechariah 3, uh, that served Moses, Joshua the high priest in the book of Zechariah. And uh, the Lord said to him, you are clean, you are cleansed. And they said, change his clothes, put a turban on him, right? For he is a brand, it says, that has been snatched from the fire. Aren't you glad that God rescued you? <laughs> God rescued you by changing your state. Amen. So you are the citizen now of the kingdom of God. Who's glad for salvation? Amen. You know, studies like this really get me going now. Right? Uh, we attended um, um, Shimon's granny's funeral yesterday. And um, Pastor Evangelist Derek Finn preached his sermon, the sermon. And I just love the spirit of the evangelist. I just love the passion for the lost that comes, comes to the fore. And I'm so glad for my salvation, the fact that we are in another kingdom. Amen? Aren't you glad? Hallelujah. But just remind the person next to you, if you don't, if it hasn't dawned upon you, you were literally rescued. You were literally rescued. I will forever be grateful. Don't get so revelatory and mature. You never lose you can't be grateful for the cross and for the fact that you are snatched, you are saved. Right? These things are fundamental. And um, I want to encourage you, never ever lose your gratitude. Romans 5 verse 1 and 2 speaks about your entrance or introduction into grace. It says an amazing thing. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom also we have obtained what? We have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult. We rejoice in a hope. That hope is called glory. The hope of the glory of God. Note a couple of things. You are justified by faith. You have peace with God through accepting our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When you transferred kingdoms out from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of 
the son of his love or his dearly beloved son. Paul in Romans 5 describes that as you were introduced to grace. The King James or New King James versions of the Bible, in the place of the word introduce, uses the word access. You have access into what? This grace. Everyone say this grace. So what is the point? The point is when you were saved, God gave you an introduction into something. At the point of salvation, a door of access was opened to transfer into another realm. It's called the kingdom of the son of his, of his love. Now you know, as well as I do, the introduction to something is not the fullness of the thing. It's only the introduction. If you ever read an introduction to a book, good introductions are designed to give the reader some idea of what is to come. You can't read the introduction and say, I've read the book. If this is saying you're being introduced by faith through your being justified by faith in Christ and acceptance of Him as Lord and Savior, you, I, you just started the introduction. Right? So, answer me. Are you saved by grace? Right? Many people would understand that to be grace as unmerited favor. Yes, through no effort on your own, no work that you could do could save you. You had to depend on the work that Jesus did on the cross, accept his offer of forgiveness, confess your sins, repent, believe, and you are ushered into the kingdom. But I want to encourage you, that was only an intro. It was only an access point. God, you were off. God brought you near. So when people define grace, oh, grace is unmerited favor. You're only defining the introduction. Grace is far more than unmerited favor. You're only defining grace in terms of its aspect that gave you an introduction into your life in Christ. Amen? Now, the word introduction or access, the word introduction or access is prosagoge. It literally means access, or like this definition, it means approach. It means come near. It means approach, come near. The root is prosago, which means to bring, to bring near. So when I say to you, brethren, that by you are being justified by faith in the Lord Jesus, that you have, been an, you have an introduction into this grace, God is all, all God is saying, I brought you near. I literally brought you near. You are forth, alienated from the life of God, literally on my initiative. Yes, you responded. But I caused, even caused you to respond. That's another teaching. Huh? Don't pat yourself on the back and say, yes, I said yes to the Lord. No. Even your capacity to say yes was God-induced. Huh? It was literally the kindness of God. Romans 2.4. The kindness of God leads a man to repent. Hmm? And so you were, you were brought near and you've, you were introduced to the life in the kingdom. It also means the right of approach granted to someone by high officials and monarchs. You know, kings in that day, you couldn't just walk into the king's um, presence and demand an audience with him, right? Uh, you, you had to extend his scepter, and you have the right of access or the right of approach, the right to come near to him. This is seen in Esther 5 and verse 12. You'll see it, verse 2 rather. When the king saw Esther, 
the queen standing in the court, she obtained what? This word favor is the Greek chen or hen, which means grace. So what did, what, did, what did Esther find? Grace in the eyes of the king, in his sight. And the king did what? Extended to Esther the golden scepter, which gives her the right of approach, which was in his hand. And so what did she do? She came, she came near. You know, as we go through this, don't think it's so elementary that you cannot apply it to where you are in your life now, however mature and advanced you are in Christ. I sense in my spirit, um, I've been so overwhelmed by this, the hearing of God's voice to my spirit recently. God is saying to me, Randolph, the scepter is extended to you. You're so sometimes theological, God was saying to me. You're so full of knowledge sometimes. And full of Greek and Hebrew. <laughs> that it actually prevents you from approaching. I was like, enter into the experience of this thing. Come near. My scepter is extended to you. You have the right of approach. And I might be speaking to someone here that's feeling alienated from God. Do not, do, do not feel that that's, that's a mindset of the enemy. God welcomes you. It's God's intention that you come. That you come near. Do you think God would go through such lengths to kill his son on the cross for your sin? Pay such a demanding price for your sin and save you? And now that you are saved, keep you alienated from himself? The same way you came to God at the day you, you said yes to God. When you walked, most of us walked to the front in some meeting and we said, we literally came near. Even physically, we had this coming to the Lord. I want to encourage you. Grace afforded you that. There's something about the power of grace and intimacy. Grace never, never keeps a person away. Grace demands that you come. What does, I think it's Hebrews says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in times of our need. Right? God is not so upset with you. I'm Get this in my spirit now. Some people are thinking that God is this hard task master. Right now he's so angry with my present state of life. And he's keeping me at a distance. No, that's a, that's a satanic thought, brethren. The Lord saying to all of us this morning, my scepter is extended to you. Come near. You came to me not based on your works. Why now do you rely on your works as conditional of your approach to me now? Simply... Understand the power of my grace to discount your own ability to prepare or, or, or to be eligible to come to me. Come simply because of my disposition. I welcome you. My scepter is extended to you. Come. Everyone say, come. Our sense is God is saying, come near. And don't let a mindset. You know, God will never approve of your sin. But he will never use your sin as an excuse. To prevent you from approaching Him. If you were true disposition of heart, um, in humility and in repentance, come before Him, God will never turn you away. If I had a scepter, a golden one too, like He had, I will extend it. There was a powerful image this in the Old Covenant. I extend, He said, come, you have... It's not just the right of approach. It's the right to access all the resources I represent in this context. Yeah? You know, you would say to ask me whatever you want. Ask. Right? 
and I will give it. Amen. Are you glad God brought you near? I want to stress this morning. Don't leave the powerful place of proximity and closeness to Him. Don't leave that. Don't let a mindset, don't let a behavioral pattern uh, subconsciously exclude you from that privilege that you have in Christ. Amen. Do you know, listen carefully, the verse says that through being justified by faith in the Lord Jesus, that we have access or introduction into not grace. This text says this grace. That for me tells me grace is an estate. Grace is a realm. Grace is an economy that I've been, I've been invited to come into. It's a state of being. It's a state of existence called grace. I'm either in it or I'm not. At the point of my salvation, he said, come into. There's an intro, an access, a drawing here. I bring you here. And you, what, what have you come into? You haven't just come into salvation. You came into this grace. Don't leave this grace, otherwise you'll be disgraced. Don't leave this grace. Next time somebody asks you, where do you live? Just say, this grace. When we, when we sang songs uh, like we did, God is able to make all grace abound. That, that, that song is based on, what's it, Second Corinthians? 9 verse 8. We'll come to that text, a powerful text. When I sing, I will abound. Everyone say abound. abound. It means abound in every good thing. If I've entered grace, it's a state of being. Aren't you grateful for this grace? Right? You've come into this grace and economy and estate. Right? And it says stand in it. Once you're in it, stand in it. Right? Once you're in it, stand in it. Look. We are saved by grace. We are brought near to God. I love this text. Um, Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ Jesus you are formerly far off. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Hallelujah. Been brought near. We were once um, outside of the economy of grace, but we've been brought near. 1 Peter 5.12 Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that, what? That this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Once you've come into it, you must be conscious of it and literally stand in it. Right? Ask your neighbor, where are you standing right now? In other words, are you so beset by your own ability to do things and to accomplish certain things or are you still functioning by the same grace that saved you is the same grace that is meant to mature you? Is that still your frame of existence? Or have you left that realm? You know, you can go out of grace. That's why he says you've come into it. You've been injured. Now what, what must you do? You must stand. But not just stand. Stand firm in the grace that God has called you, has called you into. Okay, let's go on. Now, this is where I want to get to. We are saved by grace. Hallelujah. We are saved by grace. Now, salvation grace is unmerited. If something is unmerited, it simply means you cannot work for it. Not so? 
Um, there's nothing you could do to earn it. It's unearned, unmerited. You could not work sufficiently enough even to make yourself worthy or eligible for the thing that you seek. The thing we're seeking is God's salvation. God says, I love this text, Ephesians 2.6, To the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. With an emphasis on the word freely. Nothing you could do to, to earn it. It was given to you mahala. Right? Mahala grace. If you want a, a phrase, mahala grace is grace that you receive at the point of salvation, at your introduction into it. Right? No works of your own that you could do to earn it. Salvation of souls is an act of God's grace. Classic text is Ephesians 2.8. For by grace are you saved through what? Through faith, and that not of yourselves. Please remember this. What is true for grace at your salvation will be true for grace throughout your maturation. Listen carefully. If at the point you came in, it was not of yourselves, it was by grace. Everything in your journey in Christ will bear the same testimony. It's not of you, it's of grace. It's not of your efforts. It's a, you will work, you will be diligent, you will do stuff. I'm not saying you must now be lazy. But even those efforts are efforts in grace and not on the, the skill of the man or the woman. Okay, All dependent on the grace of God. Okay, Even when we do things, it will not be us. I want, to, I want to prophesy over you, young people here. I, I want to say this to you. You will be, you will be successful. When you study, all of you, you will be successful. Now, don't go out here and say, Pastor Randolph said we're going to be successful. Don't play with me. You know, I'm the man. I'm the, the war man. No, all I'm saying to you, there's a grace potential. God's grace will give you the edge even in your secular environments. Yeah. I really believe this. If you truly know the power of grace, grace is always designed to be maximized within the context of human deficiency. But when you think you are it, and there's nobody like me, that's when grace says, bye-bye. Bye-bye. I vacate the building because it's all about you now and not me. I'm not saying you will, you will do the homework. You will do the study. You'll put the hours in. That's all true because you only, you only reap what you, what you sow. But you now are sons of God. You young people that are here that are sons of God realize that even in an ordinary a studious environment. The grace of God is there to give me the edge. Grace will give me the edge. Amen? What I'm saying is, don't just rely on your own steam. There's something called, you, you don't have to apply, you can just apply this in your workplace. You can apply it anywhere. It's the grace of God that's going to give you the edge in all contexts. What you and I need is grace and more grace. Amen? Grace and more grace. Sample some people think in South Africa, it's the color of your skin that's going to give you the advantage. I tend to disagree because I'm not living in a physical... Yes, I'm part of South Africa and I'm subservient to its laws and customs. But my, my reality is I've been rescued from a domain of darkness. I'm in a spatial sphere of existence called the kingdom of his dear son or this grace. My frame of existence is a realm called this grace. Come on, say with me, this grace. It's a realm called this grace. When I come into that realm, I have favor from the highest monarch. Amen. 
the highest king ever, he's extended a golden scepter to me to come near. I enjoy favor and benefits. It's not about race. It's about grace. Tell your neighbor, no matter what color you think you are right now, it really doesn't matter. (laughs) Jacques and Lisa, you are whites by South African classification. But I reculture you. You're no more white. You are grace. We don't see you after race. Amen? Don't see you after your black heritage. Uh, OG, Nati, the rest of the brothers, Clinton, Manola. Don't see you after your Asian, your Indian descent. Hey? All the colors in this place, you think you got everybody in you? <laughs> We're like the mixed breed of all. Don't think of ourselves as a mixed. You know, those classifications are obsolete. When you come into this grace, race falls away. Just add the G. My thing now is, even if I apply for jobs and positions, if by natural standards they're giving preference to specific racial groups, that's their thing. I don't function by that as my primary frame of reference. I function in a realm called grace. And grace will give me the edge. Grace will give me the edge. Amen? So I went off, bit, off the track there. But I think it was the Lord. Listen carefully. By grace we, are be, we have been saved through faith. Watch this. It is not of yourselves. It is the, the gift of God. Quickly, I'm going to rush through some scriptures before I make the point. You are saved through grace. Acts 15, 11 says, We believed and that we are. We are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus in the same way as they also. You are saved by, I'll explain what this means shortly. You're saved by grace. Part of what that means is, like I said, you're not saved by works of your own righteousness. Nothing you could do could earn or merit your salvation. He paid the price to put you in right standing with God. You responded to the Lord. You said, yes, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I was rescued from one domain. I jumped into a new sphere of existence called the kingdom of the son of his love or his dearly beloved son. I jumped into a thing called this grace, relationship with him. By grace, I am saved. Listen carefully. Yes, it does mean not by works, but by pure uh, response to his initiative of kindness and goodness displayed on the cross. I am saved. Are you glad you're saved this morning? Right? Nothing that you could do could earn you this. That is true. What does it mean to be saved by grace? It's not based upon what you could do in your own works of, to attain righteousness. Not by the works of the law either. Okay? But there's something else that which I'll explain shortly. I'm going to get to these scriptures quickly. You even believe through grace. Right? <laughs> Just quickly the text. Acts 18.27 says, When he went down to cross to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who believed through grace. Believed through grace. Forgiveness of sins and redemption is by grace. Ephesians 1 verse 5 to 7. He predestined us to the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will i like that it's according to the kind you know you know if ever i get emotional about a text it's ephesians the whole chapter to see how god pre-selected preordained you'll see that text it's powerfully but moves me emotionally kind intention of his will 
We are adopted as sons. To the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed upon us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood. Watch the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the richness of His grace. So you were actually forgiven and you've received redemption by the grace of God. Okay. What does this mean? I'll explain it shortly. So we get to the scriptures. You are justified by grace. What does the word justified mean? For those youngsters, we, we learned this growing up. Just as if. Justified. Just as if I had never sinned. When someone says you are justified before a judge in a court of law, what they're literally saying is, you came here because there was an accusation against you. In fact, you are very guilty. All the evidence proves this right. But, as an act, but somebody paid the price for you. So as an act of mercy, your sin is wiped away. When we see you now, you are justified. It's we see you just as if the deed never occurred in the first place. Do you know when we stand before God, what do we stand? Justified in His sight. He don't, doesn't reckon us after our sins. The text says, Romans 3.24, being justified as a gift by His grace. Titus 3.7, being justified by His grace. We would be made what? Is. Here's the point. Your salvation. Your forgiveness of sin. Your belief in Him. Your redemption. Your justification is all by grace. But it was not meant for you to escape hell. How many sermons have you heard where the preacher said, give your heart to the Lord so that you don't go to hell. Or give your heart to the Lord so that if you go out there and you die now, a bus knocks you, you'll go to heaven. We've had plenty over the years like that. Do you know that is not the message of the gospel of the kingdom? We put fear into the hearts of people and hence they gave their hearts to the Lord. Do you know what that subconsciously does? The person comes in and can be truthful, sincere. They say they will go to heaven should they die. But what it subconsciously breeds in the person is no desire to mature into the fullness of sonship because now I've got my visa, I've got my passport to that place. That's, for them, that's their total experience of salvation. Now, I want to say this clearly, brethren. Please listen to me. If you remember, forget everything I've said, remember this today. You are not saved to escape hell. In order to go to heaven. You were saved to be God's son. And to represent him accurately. To be his heir. Not just his heir. Joint or co-heir with his eternal son. The Lord Jesus. And in the earth to represent him. In nature and character. But also to steward the earth on his behalf. That's a tall order. That, that, that's more than. I'm, I'm saved to go, I'm going to hell, escaping, I'm not going to hell, I'm going to heaven, escaping hell. But if I know, hey, this thing of salvation was not just to secure where I'm going, it's to secure my inheritance, my heirship. Watch, justified by faith, we will be made his heirs. Tell your neighbor, I'm an heir, you an heir. You an heir. It's gone. I like this. You know, Paul, Paul's language. I'm reading, rereading the New Testament with new appreciation, even for his uh, phraseology and the language 
that the apostle used because he really had an idea into something that sometimes we simply gloss over. Galatians 1.6, I am amazed, he says to them, you Galatians, that you are so quickly deserting him, Christ, who called you by. It should be the word in because the Greek phrase en translated in English by is used. Called you by or in the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Tell your neighbor you are called in the grace of Christ. The Galatian church left the grace because they were subject to Judaism. And they were attempting to go back to Judaistic practices of circumcision, animal sacrifices. And he says, hey, you're deserting him. You are called into an estate, an economy called grace. Now you want to go back to the law. You want to go back to doing things your own way. That's why I don't want anybody in this church supporting any rebuilding of any temple in Israel. It's not God. We can never go back to the law. That system is not biblical. You're going back to an attempt to earn or merit salvation. You're trying to build something that God destroyed himself because the true has come. Amen? Hallelujah? It's, it's not just about a rebuilding of a temple. It's about discounting the grace of God at work in the earth today. Grace by Jesus Christ. Amen? So please don't fall prey to that. Tell your neighbor, call into grace. I like this. <laughs> call into grace. What is my state of existence? This grace, this economy. I'm called into it. Then he says in verse, I think it's 15 or so, next verse. But when God will set me apart from my... Mother's womb called me what? Through his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me. Now, I just want to stop there. Right? He called me into grace. So once I come into it, a different word through here, the Greek word dia, D-I-A, is through. It literally means to channel or the channeling of an act. Dia, everyone say act. Or the channeling of an act. So I've, I've, here's how I see these two texts. Watch. He called me into the grace. Be introduced into grace. Once in it, I must stay in the conduit or the the, the channeling of grace. Why? To go toward the ultimate end, which is what? To reveal His Son in me. What is the purpose of your being called into this grace economy? What is the ultimate intent of your being called into grace? It is, according to the text... To reveal the Son, where? In you, right? To reveal the Son, in you, okay? Where is the Son? He's already in you, but requires unveiling, requires peeling away or revelation till He comes to the fore. Ephesians 2.15 says, We must grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Right? So, listen carefully. Salvation is not so much about your continuous reception of Christ to fullness. I believe rather he came in at the point of your salvation. But to uncover him within you requires time. Think about it. Repeat after me. God wants to reveal his son in me. Come on, say with conviction. God wants to reveal his son in me. Paul says... He called me dear. He called me in grace, verse 5 or 6. Verse 15, he says, he called me through grace 
I have a goal. What is the goal of grace? As I stay in it as a channel, it's to reveal progressively the fullness of His Son in me. It's like He will progressively uncover the nature of Christ in me. I'll explain to you how this happens. Galatians 4.6. Now, okay, just before we do this, let me make the point and then use these texts to illustrate the point. What does it mean to be saved by grace? Your first response is, well, it means that I can't be saved by my own works. It took an act of God's grace, which in that context is unmerited favor. I can't work. He was kind to me. The kind intention of His will, He saved me by sending His Son Jesus, paid the price. I said yes. I came into an economy called this grace. But more than that, now yes, where I want to get brethren. If you define grace as the constituent element that makes up God as spirit. Not so, didn't we do that? So what is grace to us? Grace is the defining components of God as spirit. Not so? So if I then say I am saved by grace, it means then at the point of my salvation, I receive not just the right of entry. I literally received an impartation of the nature and the character of God Himself. It's vastly different. And please, you must comprehend this. Grace and the words used in the New Testament is meant to be imparted. Everyone say impartations of grace. So what does the word impart mean? Impart means something leaves someone, goes, and there's the recipient from the giver. The recipient receives what the giver sent or transmitted. It's called impartation. For by grace I am saved. If grace is the nature of God as spirit, it's the thickness, if you would, the texture of God as spirit, the thing that comprises spirit. If I am saved by grace, I said yes to the Lord. What came into me at the point of salvation? His grace, which isn't just the right to be saved, not by works. It is, literally, I received the nature of God as a deposit into my being. It came into me, making me his son, right? Making me his son. Do you know your spirit was alienated from the life of God through sin? Not so. There was a disconnect when you sinned. God, a separation between you and God. When you said yes, at the point of salvation, God the Spirit, listen carefully, came into your heart regenerated your fallen spirit, reconfigured it, renatured it, superimposed everything that defines him as spirit, fused it into the substance of your spirit so profoundly, the New Testament uses words like, he became a brand new creature. He became born again. He's a new creation in Christ. The change is so profound, it describes it as a brand new birth. Right? I know you know this, but we don't think of it deeply enough. I'm saved by grace. What happened? Grace hit me. Grace came into me. Spirit came into my spirit. Because grace is the texture of spirit. I have a spirit that was once divorced from God. Now I confess my sin. I was brought near. The monarch held out his scepter. I have access to God by the death of his son. Sins forgiven. Believed in him. Redemption through his blood. And this is what happens. This text says, 
Because you are sons. Galatians 4, 6. God sent what? God sent forth the... You know what? It's not just His Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of His Son that was sent to you. God sent a spirit called sonship to your spirit. And it gives you the capacity into our hearts crying what? Crying Abba? Please, brethren, who's crying here? Read the text carefully. Who's crying? Not we. It's God sent forth the spirit of His Son into your heart. It's the spirit of the Son in you crying in you, through you, to God, our Father. Hmm? Yeah, not we cry, the Spirit cries here. The Spirit of His Son in us. How many of you are grateful for the fact that you are sons of God? I know we know these things. But you know this revelation is, is radically altering my worldview in recent times. I can't tell you the degree of confidence I have in respect to various things. Knowing I am a son of God. Right? The spirit of the son. And from, Gen- from John 1.14, what do we know of the son? That he's full of what? Grace. He's full of grace and truth. And of his fullness we receive grace for grace. That comes into my spirit. So my spirit becomes laced with grace. Saturated with his nature. I am joined to him. We become one. Spirit with the Lord. Amen? When you cry, Abba, Father, it's literally the Spirit crying through you. (laughs) Abba, Father, my Father, my Father. This radically alters my times of prayer. Now when I pray, I was praying yesterday evening, Lord, my Father, I realize, hey, Spirit of the Son is in me. I'm saved by this grace. Grace is not just an eligibility to come into the kingdom. It's an infusion of His nature in me. And I'm not just saved to go to heaven. I'm saved to reveal that Son in me. Paul's language, it's intent that He wants to reveal that Son in me. Think about the Son, 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 Son. As I grow in Christ, the Son, 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 Son. Son is becoming more dominant in my view. People look at me, they can see more characteristics of the Son, Son, Son. The Spirit of His Son formulated in and through me. Just go on. Now, here's a text that I really like. Romans 8, verse 14. Now, watch, brethren. Watch this. See. For you all are being what? Led by the Spirit of God. These are the sons of God. As many as led by His Spirit, they are the sons. Not so. We have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again. But you've received what? Come on. You receive the spirit of? What is the term adoption is only used when you are coming, giving legal entry into a family. Right? You've been adopted into the family of God. And it says we received not just the spirit of his son. You got a spirit of adoption. Now as sons, now yeah, we cry. In Galatians 4, it's the spirit crying. In Romans 8, we are crying. Right? It says now we cry because of the Holy Spirit of adoption in us. We cry, Abba, Father, relationship restored. By grace I am saved. I'm, I'm, when I think about that phrase now, by grace I am saved, 
I'm not just saying not by works, only by His merits. No, I'm saying I have received spirit of adoption. I have received the spirit of His Son into my heart. That spirit of adoption in me gives me the capacity to relate to God, not as some autocrat, not a harsh ruler so distant. He's now intimate, near and dear, His Father, my Father. The Spirit, now watch what happens. Because listen carefully, when you said yes to the Lord, the Spirit came in you. Not so? Spirit came in you. The Holy Spirit came in you. The Bible says publicly He's called a Spirit of Adoption. He came to manifest the Spirit of the Son and to reveal that Son progressively through time in you. Not so? That's His express purpose. Right? He Himself, the Spirit Himself, what does He do? He testifies with what? Do you know there's a testimony service going on right now within you? Someone is testifying to another one. It's the Holy Spirit in you talking to your spirit saying, You are son. You are son. You are son. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've said that recently in the past two weeks. I was lying on my bed for literally sometimes five minutes at a time in my mind. I am a son of God. I'm not lying, brethren. I've stayed for five, ten minutes to remind myself, I am a son of God. I am a son of God. I am Randolph, you are a son of God. I'm not lying, five, ten minutes. I'm a son of God. I'm a son of God. I'm a son of God. Any way, any nuance I can find, I'm a son of God. God is my father. I will not lack. Spirit of slavery, nowhere near. Spirit of adoption, spirit of his son, God is my father. I'm a son of God. I want you, you've got to encourage. I mean, there's no one else, no emails, nothing coming. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Amen. Meditate. Fill your mind with concepts. Because when you go out and you face the battle, what says a man thinks in his heart so easy. But there's a testimony going on between the spirit and your spirit. His spirit is reminding you, you have been renatured by grace. You are a son. Okay? You are a son. Let's go on quickly. Moreover, Ezekiel 36, 26, 27. Moreover, I will give you what? I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove the stony heart from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. Some of you are doubting today. Do I have the spirit? If you've said yes to God, you have the Spirit. If you repented, you have the Spirit within you. Right? God says, I will put my Spirit within you. I will cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe all my ordinances. Right? There was an insertion of grace by the Spirit into the content of your Spirit. Now, here's the deal. You know, I was supposed to have taught this when we did firstborn, and we just stopped firstborn, we went to something else. And I thought it was an appropriate time to say this. Everyone say pledge. Let's read the text. Ephesians 1.13. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, by grace are you saved, you have believed. So we're in. Intro, access, brought near, we're in. We've believed. Watch. At the point that it happened, Ezekiel says, the Spirit came into me. He witnesses with my spirit. I'm a son. 
The spirit of his son also is crying through me, Abba, Father, once all of that is in place, watch. He sealed us with his spirit. It says in him, you are sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is given what? He is given why? You think the Holy Spirit is fall down, goosebumps? We've missed the primary function of the Holy Ghost. He is given as a pledge. For what? Your inheritance. What is your inheritance, by the way? I know we did a whole session on this. God is your inheritance. Your Father is, in your, is your inheritance. Not so. The fullness of your estate is the nature of God as your, as your Father. What, when you came into, watch me demonstrate this. You said, yes, intro into grace. I enter a realm, out from the domain of darkness, into the kingdom of his dear son. Holy Spirit in me, testifying with these, I am a son, I am a son. But you know why he was given? God said, let's go to the next. Do you know what the word pledge is? Arabon. It literally means this. Something which stands for parts of the price. Before paid beforehand to confirm the transaction. For, our, for, for a, a modern day term, it's down payment. Down payment means you put the money down as a guarantee that I'm coming back. I'm coming back with a full price, but yes, a down. What is the Holy Ghost? Down payment for what? Fullness of inheritance coming later. Holy Spirit given to you is God's guarantee of your inheritance. He, he is the guarantee. That not maybe if what we're going to access inheritance. He is the surety, guarantee that you're going to access your inheritance in God. Thank you for the pledge. God made you a pledge, not just by an oath, not just by a verbal promise. He said, I will give you a third part of me called my spirit. To when you come in by grace, I will give you the spirit who is a down and araborn. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ. Not, not height, nor depth. Uh, not, not nakedness, peril, famine, or the sword. Paul says in Romans 8, will be able to separate us from the love of our Father in Christ Jesus. He loves us too much. Do you think he will pay a price before he laid the foundations of the world? The lamb was slain before he even started creating. you think he will go to such lengths to plan everything, save you, bring you into grace, and now forfeit the process? Do you think? No. He says, as a commitment, as, a, as, a, as a, the strength of my commitment to your accessing your inheritance, I will give you my spirit as down payment. Guarantee. That you're going to have the fullness of your inheritance in me. Let's go on quickly, Luke. I've got to get through this before you leave. Listen carefully. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22 says, Now he who establishes you, or us with you, in Christ, and anointed us is woe. Is God, watch, who sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. You're not, he's not just a pledge, he's a seal. You know, seals in those days were king's, a king's indication symbolically of his authority. So documents were sealed with wax, you know, like a king's ring. So a seal. Right? When everyone picked the letter up and saw the king's seal, they knew 
This content has got the backing and guarantee of the king himself. When God gave you his spirit, he said, I seal you with my symbol, my mark of authorization over your sonship. No one can take that away from you. You are sealed by the Holy Ghost. He's given as a pledge that the fullness of your inheritance will come. I'll show you how it will come quickly. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 4 and 5. For indeed, while we are in this tent, this body, we groan being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by immortality or life. All that verse is saying, while we're living in this tent, this body, we are subject to death. But we're looking forward to a day when life, immortality is going to swallow up our mortal frame. Not so? So the resurrection of the dead, when we are raised from the dead, we will be raised to newness of life with a new glorified, immortal, never-to-die body. Who's looking forward to that point? I'm tired of attending funerals now. Right? Oh, I said, Lord, let that, let that era come. Your, your father will have no ministry after this. Right? Let that thing come to an end. <laughs> let that thing come to an end so we can live this immortal life. Right? Um, and you know what the Bible says? With that in view, if that, listen carefully, do you know the redemption of your body is the last, final act of your maturation? You mature, 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 so much so that even the anatomical nature of your physical being has to adapt, put on the mortal, put on the, the temporal, and adopt for the, for the immortal. That's when you break the tape. The last straw. And in terms of biblical language, death, the last enemy. When the Bible calls it last, it means it's the last one we must conquer. Death, the final enemy, is conquered. And we say, death, where is your? Where is your sting or grave? Where is your? Where is your victory? That we look forward to, but look what in context. With that in mind, what does verse 5 say? Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave us the Spirit as a guarantee, as an arabond as a down payment, that this is really going to take place. He will raise Christ from the dead, Romans says, will quicken even your mortal bodies. He, the Spirit, will raise Christ from the dead. He will quicken even your mortal bodies. You know, who's watched programs about immortal beings? That's my inheritance in Christ, that. I'm going to be like that one day. <laughs> Live forever. Live multidimensionally. Appear and disappear at will. Walk through physical matter like he did in his glorified body when he was raised from the dead. That's a glorious thing, not so. That represents our glorification. But the Spirit was given a down payment. Right? Aren't you glad for the Holy Ghost? Right? I'm glad for the Holy Ghost. Right? Even Romans says something about this. Romans 8.22 We know that the whole creation groans and suffers what? Pains in childbirth together until now. Not only this but we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit. Waiting, uh, even we groan within ourselves, waiting for what? Come on, waiting what? Waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons. It's not that we are not sons. By the way, the word hupostesia, the Greek word for adoption, implies maturity. Right? And it says it will be what? Manifested as the redemption of this flesh. That's the end. But the Spirit is given toward that point. My point being in saying all of this, brethren, is this. Being saved by grace, 
He gave you a spirit. The spirit of His Son. The spirit of adoption. He crying in and through you, giving you legitimate right to call God your Father. But your salvation is not just meant for you to go to heaven and to maybe when you die one day escape hell. It's not with that in mind. You are saved to access an inheritance as a son of God to reveal his son in you. To confirm the transaction, he actually slayed his son before the world began. Do you know God, the lamb was slain before the world began, before God even made the earth? He already determined the lamb would be. Why make man then if you know he's going to fail? You love him so much, you determine to pay the price even before you start creating him. Because you see him as valuable as a chosen heir and son of yours. Hmm? You come into. Holy Spirit is given to you as a Araborn, as a down payment. That the fullness of deity. By the way, first fruit. What is first fruit? First fruit is a sign of the first ripened harvest. But it's not the total harvest. It's the first of a series in time to come. What is the spirit? The spirit is down payment, Arabon. He's called in this text first fruit. The spirit is called first fruit. What's later to come? Fullness of father, fullness of son. He's the first of the down payment that the fullness of deity will come to rest and vest in you. Okay. How? I'm going to close with this text because of time. Let me close with this and challenge you. How will this grace grow? If grace is communicated by the word, and if I have the spirit designed to um, mature me, lead me into immortality one day, break the tape, given as a pledge of the fullness of father and son will come. How will the fullness of father and son come? If he is the down payment, the first fruit of that indication. John 14, you know this text, so I've taught this so strongly at times in times past, but you know the text. I want to quote it as a witness to us today. In that day you will know that I am in my Father. John 14, 20 onwards. And you in me, and I in you. Jesus talking to his disciples. He who has my commandments and does what? And keeps them. He's the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will love him and I will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? How will this happen? Good question. Jesus answers in the next uh, verse by saying the following. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone, this is a verse you must remember, If anyone loves me and keeps my word, my Father will love him. We, Father and Son, will come to him. It's not about you coming. He's going to come. You came here because of rest. Now he takes in the... I will come now to you. We will come to you and we will make our abode with with him. The word abode here is mansion. There's only twice the word mansion is used in John 14. In my father's house are many abodes. That's why we say the mansions are a place in heaven. Please, there are no mansions in heaven. No rooms with no buildings. That's a false concept. 
When Jesus said, I go to prepare a place, he was talking about contextually the cross. Read it in context. I go to prepare a place for you where I am, you might be also. But you read further down. That's John 14, the first part. Now verse 20, he says, oh, by the way, he gives us light. He uses exactly the same Greek word, our abode or mansion. We come and we make you the mansion. Tell your neighbor, you are the mansion. The greatest abode is to have him best in totality within you as his son. Okay? The fullness of grace in spirit, in father and son, will then come to vest and rest in a permanent way within the lives of each son. And corporately as the body of Christ, he will become all in all. Fullness of him. That works all in all. That is the ultimate purpose of the grace of God. Just one more scripture. I want you to stand. Put away your notes. I want to do something now as we close. Put away your notes and stand with me. Aren't you grateful for being rescued? God save me. You know, how many of you are grateful that the grace of God is abundant right, to us? I'm so thankful that I'm saved. For those you foreknew, you also predestined. To be conformed to the image of your son. I'm grateful. I want you to leave this building with gratitude for his grace. With gratitude for his mercy. Do you know mercy, like I explained to you previously, mercy brings relief for the consequences of sin. Grace forgives the sin. Mercy could be seen as the initial act or application of God's grace. When God is, when God is merciful to you, you should have, the wages of sin is dead. You should have died. But he says, I remove the consequences and the penalty of your sin as an act of my mercy. Even God's mercy is an initial application of his grace. You're grateful for his mercy, eh? Oh, I'm so grateful for the mercy of God. His mercies are new every morning. There's so many things we should suffer where God looks at us. Grace reckons the application of mercy. And we don't suffer certain things simply because God is gracious and is merciful. Read this aloud with me and get into the mind of Paul. Let's read. This is 1 Timothy 1.12. Let's read. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Tell your neighbor before reading, you are shown mercy. Verse 14. And, come on, and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. He's saying I'm the chief of the sinners here. Right? Verse 16. Yet for this reason I found mercy. So that in me as foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal invisible, the only God, be honor and glory 
forever and ever. Amen. I love Paul's spirit here. He talks about two things. Grace, mercy. Me, chief of all the sinners, an aggressor, a blasphemer. God selected me and watch to demonstrate in and to me, to others, the perfect patience of a great God. Now to the king. I want to say this on behalf of us all. And now unto you, our father. Monarch, king of all the earth. Great God, great king. Our dad, our papa. Now to you be honor, glory, power and majesty. Both now and forever. We who were once dead in trespass and sins. You brought near to demonstrate in and to us your marvelous grace. So that when others see us, they might see perfect examples of the grace of God in action. What a privilege. Thank you for my election. Thank you, thank thank you that you chose me amidst so many others in the world. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins by your grace. Thank you that you've introduced me into a culture and an estate and economy called your grace. May I never leave this economy, this estate the relationship I have with you as your son. Holy Ghost, come on, lift your hands to the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost, my pledge, my Arabon, the guarantee that I will enter and access the fullness of my inheritance in you. Thank you that you are the most credible guarantee that there is. And you've given, you've been given to me. You are testifying even now. I hear, come on, church, I hear the Holy Spirit testifying, reminding you who you are in Him. He's testifying to your spirit, saying, don't listen to negative voices. Voices that are trying to discount your eligibility, your confidence in standing before me as my son. Holy Spirit is saying to your spirit, you, spirit, you, spirit in Luke, you are God's son, God's child, God's heir. You will be mortal one day. Your physical frame will change. I've given you a pledge to the fullness of your maturation in me. This is a certainty and a guarantee. So we thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your work at work within our lives. We are blessed, enthused. Thank you, O God, for the expression of your grace. We honor you and magnify your name. Be glorified. In the midst of us today, Father. Be magnified in all of your glory, in all of your splendor. The Lord is good and His mercies endure forever. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen.